0: I woke up today and I'm like, okay, who do I get to chat with today? Okay, another epic marketing executive. Let me tell you folks a little bit about Johan Reed. So Johan Reed has over 20 years of global marketing experience. He's led growth and transformation for some epic brands we'll talk about today, uh, regarded as today's one of today's most innovative marketing minds. He has disrupted industries, spearheaded initiatives that really redefine marketing excellence. This person has a track record of triple digit growth that has been fueled by a gift for energizing teams. A credibly relevant marketing executive in Johan. We're going to cover a lot today, as much as we can. And, and Johan has ex- expertise across a lot of disciplines and segments and channels. And so please join me in welcoming an exceptional leader and Johan Reed, who reminds us all of marketing's unlimited possibilities. Johan, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. That is an epic introduction.
0: You are so welcome. And honestly, I mean, I, I, the, one of the first things I do is I, when I find out who we're having on the show, I'm like, I want to go back to the beginning. And how did this person get to where they are? And you have such deep experience and your career could have done some really interesting things. And here you now sit at the chief experience officer role, which is a really interesting role. So I want to double click right into that. What
1: does it mean to be the chief experience
0: officer at Emburse?
1: It's a new role. And at Emburse, the way that we've defined it is I lead operationally, I lead both marketing and customer success. But if you kind of abstract that up a, a level I'm really here to make sure that we deliver the brand experience that we promise.
0: What are some of the data and the metrics that you're looking at in term so maybe take us into the beginning of like you're you're looking at Embers, you're evaluating it, you've you've accepted the opportunity there. What are some of the metrics you're paying attention to then? And has that changed now that you've started to really bake this and roll out this new collaboration and you're obviously in this, this very cool role? Do you, have you reprioritized metrics now based on where, where it was and where it is? What are the, what's the data points that you were paying attention to and that you're really paying attention to now?
1: I don't know. You could call me a traditionalist, but I tend to believe there are only a handful of KPIs that matter in business. And, okay. you know, it's booked one and then related to that, you have marketing, marketing sourced and marketing influenced pipeline, right? And then also uh, customer success sourced pipeline. And then you have churn, NRR, and NPS. So, you know, and then there are other metrics, awareness metrics like share of voice. But th- these are the, the core metrics that really matter to the business. And I think one thing that's really important as a marketing executive is I talk with my peers on the leadership team in terms of business metrics. Like, I, I don't even talk... That much about share of voice because that's really a marketing metric, not a business metric. NRR and churn are finance metrics. Finance is looking at those. Booked one bookings is also a finance metric. It's not a marketing metric. Um, pipeline is less of a finance metric; it is more of a, a go-to-market metric. But it still flies at a high enough level that you know our CEO takes an interest in what our pipeline looks like, right? So these are the metrics sure. that I keep my eye on, and okay. uh, and of course I'm looking at the more detailed metrics that roll up to those as operating metrics to make sure that my business is healthy and contributing, but. I'm not changing the metrics I'm I'm co- most concerned about because for me I'm focused on those core business metrics and I want to make sure that they remain healthy and and get even healthier.
0: Out of those metrics, what which one has been the most impacted by this this collaboration and this effort?
1: Honestly, it's it's still too early to tell. The, these okay. metrics take a while. And this is a funny one because it's hard to tell when something doesn't change, if you know what I mean. Like the the our economy, we're seeing projects being delayed. It's it's not great <laughs> for a lot of software companies out there. Just look around at, at some of the uh you know publicly traded companies are talking about 1% growth or even shrinking. You know, we continue to grow in double digits. We are we are still driving growth. My pipeline targets, I'm I'm over a hundred percent on pipeline. And being able to make our sales numbers be over on pipeline drive double digit growth i attribute the fact that we are able to sustain that in this economy to the setup if it, you know it's the setup and it's the execution if we weren't taking these measures to push back actively against a cooled economy we would be seeing flagging numbers like everybody else so it's one of those things where you say well nothing's really changing you're doing all this stuff but nothing's really changing and my view is it's not changing for the negative because we're doing all of this stuff. And hopefully as the economy starts to turn around and we start to see investment in growth again, we'll, we will outpace growth from our competitors who are re- recovering from, from lower growth rates or the whole, the industry, the SaaS industry as a whole, quite frankly.
0: I was going to ask about that a bit later, but you, you brought it up as just doing more with less, right? In, in terms of in, in the executive <laughs> marketing role, the, the, the like you said, the cooling you know economy, I think is a generous way you know to put it, and I'm seeing that across the board, right? Talking to marketing leaders who are your budgets are, are smaller. You know, yet they're still, of course, responsible for driving. Can I the road jump in right? on something? Because yeah,
1: yeah, I, I yeah. Absolutely. for For years now, for years, it's been do more with less, do more with less, do more with less. Mm. I actually hate that phrase because I don't want to do more with less. What I want to do is I want to do better with less. Because when you know the implication of do more, and I'll give you a, a, you know a perspective on this. If if I'm if I'm at three x pipeline coverage. Right. And now the way that I do more in air quotes with less is I ratchet up to Forex pipeline coverage and I start putting more opportunities into the pipeline. Right. A seller cannot have. Twenty-five percent more conversations than they're having today. They're probably most sellers after after the last few years. Most sellers, most sales organizations have have gotten to a pretty pretty efficient place. They've cut out any any overhead that they have, and they're down to a minimum number of feet on the street. Right. right. And so I think this whole idea of do more with less is is a little bit misleading because I don't want to give sellers more. In fact, I want to give sellers fewer opportunities to work, but I want to give them really high quality opportunities so that they can slow down a little bit, take their time, be focused on the account and win the deal because it's teed up really well for them. The customer's at the right phase of the buying journey, right? We're not so much worried about qualifying them as top of funnel, mid funnel, bottom funnel. What we're thinking about is where is this human being psychologically in their buying process, right? and then only passing them off to sales when they're finally ready to be serious about evaluating software. It's marketing's job to convince them to evaluate.
0: And
1: and then the SDR helps convince to make sure that we're on the list of companies to evaluate. And then the seller is there to help help drive that evaluation to a favorable outcome. And so to me, it's really about, we have to do better with less, which means we have to be sharper about how we spend and how we think about it as opposed to striving to do more with less. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump on no, that, but um, I think it's such an important distinction. And uh, and so, so I just wanted to talk about that for a minute.
0: That's a great social clip. I'm like, yes, oh, that was fantastic. Doing better with less, which that might even be the title of the episode. So thank you for that one.
1: Yeah, you're welcome.
0: So, when did the this blend of the CXO CMO role like get on your radar? Did you foresee this happening? I mean, you have a lot of experience in marketing and marketing leadership, but what was that moment in time of you like, okay, I see a shift and now it's literally changing the
1: title of the CMO? Well, it's interesting. I've been around CRM and and related stuff since the 90s. And um, I saw over time, you know, this drift to go from managing the customer relationship to managing the customer experience. And I spent a lot of time talking about CX as a discipline, as a marketer. And my last job, I was a CMO, and I realized that we're really only dealing with the first half of the customer's experience. And as, as marketers, we are creating a brand promise, and we're, we're feeding that to sales, and sales is repeating that brand promise. And then we get to contract, and then we're kind of done. And we're like, okay, good luck, guys. You know, implementation comes in and support comes in. And, right. And so I had the opportunity to talk to the uh, CEO here at imburse Eric Friedrichsen. And uh, we started talking about, about this challenge of how do companies differentiate based on customer experience. And my point of view is that you have to think about the whole customer journey. And we got into this discussion of, Well, how do you look after the whole customer journey when you don't have an executive who's responsible for the whole customer journey? And I said, well, that's kind of my point is I I believe that we need executives who aren't just compartmentalized into a go to market role or a a customer success and support role but rather having an executive who really oversees that entire end-to-end experience. And so we defined the scope of the role and then I started looking in the market and I realized that this title is becoming more common. We start to see it. Different companies define it in different ways. But for me, it is the best way to make sure that when we make a promise, we're promising uh, something that we can keep because I'm also responsible for keeping the promise that we make.
0: I see you, you. You talk a lot about that. I've I've heard a couple of other things online that you've spoken about. You talk about keeping the customer promise and like making that a very real thing. So you've now married your you know obsession with marketing and your obsession with the customer in in a, in a really critical role. I think you've uniquely positioned yourself right at the sweet spot because. As I talk to a lot of marketing leaders, I'm seeing this role pop up. In fact, later today we have another another, you know, epic person coming on the show who's very focused on CX, you know, CXO stuff too. So it's interesting to, to consider that. Here you are, you have a lot of experience as a marketing leader. Now you're also adding on this retention piece and being responsible for the, you know, the whole customer experience from not just, you know, top of funnel to conversion. You're now really taking on even more as a marketing leader. So that seems like, okay, there's already enough stress and pressure as being, you know, to be a CMO, right? you 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 have, look, you've got to drive growth. You've got to, it's culture, it's internal and external, like building trust. And okay. Now, by the way, I also want to be responsible for the customer experience at the, at the top level and support our customers and our team. How do you manage that?
1: <laughs> well, a lot of people tell me I'm a glutton for punishment. Uh, how do you manage it? It's uh, so- the hack that i use to manage pretty much everything in business is i look at everything through the customer lens because it cuts out all of the stuff that's meaningless and and unhelpful right if we look at if we look at our work through the lens of of the customer and it, it take that outside in perspective it shifts where we spend our time and where we focus and so part of what i've done is I've used this model of, of campaigns, which marketing has used for ages, but I've extended it through the whole customer journey. So I've implemented a customer journey model here at Embers, where we look at the entire, the entire journey from awareness through to advocacy. And then I'm starting to use that structure to show other teams, like the customer success team, how they participate and how we extend the experience, which is defined by the messages that people hear and the the content that they read and the way they evaluate the solution and the why behind the buy, and and then carry that forward. Because a a customer success manager, if they understand why you purchased something and all the stuff you've seen and heard up until that point, they can make sure that they're closing the loop and, and helping you see the value of your purchase which then creates advocacy, which is something that feeds marketing. And so by demonstrating to these two teams and others in the organization, sales, support, uh, implementation services, by demonstrating how these pieces fit together and create a virtuous cycle, it changes the, the discussion internally. And now you're breaking silos and you have teams that are collaborating because they see a common outcome which makes my job so much easier. <laughs> wow. So it actually takes stress out of my life by, by getting people working together holistically. Now, the stress is, of course, getting that work done. But as we turn the corner, uh, I've been here almost a year and we're turning that corner and we're starting to see the collaboration taking off. My life is, is becoming much, much easier. And I can really focus now on innovation and future strategy.
0: Wow. So you talk about extending the experience. I, I, I love this. I think that it, it seems to me that even as a consumer uh, on the B2B side or the B2C side, like for me, every interaction with the brand matters now every time, whether I'm a customer, a prospect, you know, an old customer, like when I'm engaging with a brand, like every moment matters, right? And so I love that you, this of extend the experience. Can you maybe give us an example, talk about what that means and what that's done in terms of like results uh, at Embers?
1: Sure, so I'm gonna start where you, where, where you started, which is in the consumer world, right? So if you think about drinking coffee, you know, Starbucks really revolutionized the way we think about coffee because it's it's no longer just about the coffee; it's really about the experience of drinking the coffee. And you know, going through the the drive through is a very different experience than sitting in a Starbucks location, enjoying the free Wi Fi, sitting on the sofa, listening to smooth jazz playing in the background, right? Interacting with the barista, and that's really when you think about the in store experience. That's fundamentally created this, hey, every experience we have with a brand matters. We've shifted because coffee is commoditized as most things are, right? We have a set of expense management solutions that we offer our customers. And while there are some unique attributes I'll be honest, right? it's It's not rocket science right now, and you could probably buy one of our competitors' products and also have success with it. What really differentiates us in these commoditized spaces is the experience of doing business with us. And the good news at imburse is that we have a longstanding record of delivering. Great customer experiences. Our customers have been surveyed over and over again, and they've, they've talked about experience. The experience of doing business with us is one of the the reasons why they love us and why they stay with us and they don't churn out. And so for me, it's, it's right now, it's about how do we take that to the next level and how do we continue that as we scale as a business? Because when it's different when you've got 10,000, 20,000 customers versus 100 200,000 customers. And that's really the key, is is how do we make sure that as we scale our business and we go through our next phase of growth, how do we retain that excellent customer experience?
0: It's fascinating, I think. And again, the ones that are gonna win are gonna, you know, they're gonna be ahead of this, right? And they're gonna, in terms of mapping the customer journey, and understanding the entire process, and also thinking, like you said, also where we're headed, like the scoreboard of scale, and identifying these things along the way. Um, what are some of the shifts that you made You know, when you, you step into this role? You mentioned having the conversation with the CEO. You're starting to look at the business very holistically now. Um, can you talk about maybe some of the early wins, some of the early changes in terms of the customer experience or just in the role of CXO, some of the early things you saw, an opportunity, a gap is like, wow, we can close this. And then what happened?
1: Yeah. So the first, uh, the first obvious one is the two teams being integrated under a single leader, uh, and actually having joint team meetings where I brought the customer success leadership in with the marketing leadership. And we started having weekly team calls as, as one does, right? We had our weekly CX leadership team call. And what's, what's interesting is marketing always has this problem where, um, marketers are, too far away from the customer, right? So they're relying on third-party feedback like that of a salesperson to come back. And customer success people talk to customers all the time, existing customers, not, not in a net new competitive situation, but literally every day checking in, how are you doing, right? So what we discovered was that customer success people could very easily arrange conversations for a product marketer to try out new messaging on an existing customer and get feedback from them. Right? So immediately we've started to change some of the business processes within marketing which is yielding better results because we're we're getting real feedback from real customers instead of just sort of addressing personas. And then vice versa the customer success team wasn't aware of all of the marketing assets that that are being delivered because we don't wow. do customer success enablement. We focus as marketers on sales enablement. Got right? It. And so now all of a sudden CSMs are saying, "Wow, I don't have to recreate the wheel. There are all these things I could be sending my customer and showing value and it doesn't cost them time and effort." And so, you know, immediately we started to see synergy, which is is my least favorite buzzword in the world, but it's <laughs> it's it, it like I don't have a better word for that other than to, you know the 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 result of what we've seen between these two organizations. And so There's a lot of crossover now, CSMs and marketers are talking to each other in a whole new way. That's very quickly changed the the way we think about our work. Longer term results, I absolutely expect to see uh, customer success qualified leads going up as they start leveraging mm. more of these marketing materials. Uh, the quality of the marketing assets, we've already done a lot of message testing and we can see the lift on the website. The conversion rates are going up as we, as we improve the language we're using and start tightening up on the message in the customer's words. Uh, so there, there are tons of benefits of this.
0: I love that you talked about like breaking up the silos because here you got these two, you know, very potent teams on the CSM side and the marketing side. And you're you're saying, hey, you know, you're in, the, you've been in that silo with all this awesome brilliance, and you've been in this silo with that brilliance. Now we're gonna bring everybody together, which of course, like in theory, sounds exceptional and like let's do it. But what was that what was that process like? Was was everybody just super excited to kind of reach across the aisle and start to build trust that way? Was it where people kind of like, I don't know about this. This feels like, you know, that could bring different challenges and obstacles in terms of dynamics and and goals and things like that. How do you begin to break those silos and and invite that? Because clearly it's working well. Um, But, yeah, tell us more of kind of your approach there
1: actually there there was no magic uh, i I hate to disappoint you, but you know we 're really blessed with a corporate culture of leaning in and teamwork at embers there 's a lot of of desire to collaborate, and so everybody can feel the silos and this is I think a universal problem. I worked at s a p for fifteen years yep every you know whether you 're at a big company or at a small company, you can feel the silos when they 're there and the question is always how do we break the silos how do we how do we how do we start to chip away at this so it's not a lack of desire it's typically a lack of institutional will or leadership to focus on breaking the silos and so there was a moment of confusion when people people sort of i i came in as this new C-level title, people are like, what the heck is that? And what does marketing and customer success have to do with each other? I was really lucky because my first day was sales kickoff. Um. So I show up <laughs> and I get on stage on day one at a new job and I get to tell everybody why we're doing this. And I think that that immediately laid the groundwork for people to understand how we were going to break these silos, why this mattered, and what the long-term view of of bringing the keep the promise team and the make the promise team together uh, under sort of one organizational umbrella. Um, Obviously, the next phase of that, the immediate next phase is going from building an organization that encourages people to collaborate to actually reconstructing the organization in a way that integrates people's work. So thinking about an operating model, building a target operating model where the workflows are effectively integrated, where it's not just, hey, when I want to talk to a customer about testing messaging, I'll reach out to a CSM, but literally baking hey, message testing is part of what we do. You have to test your message with a customer before you you bake it into your materials. And so you reach out to a CSM manager and this is the workflow. So starting to really bake it into the operational processes in the org, that's what we've been working on through the course of this year. And I just did a reorganization internally to facilitate that in a more meaningful way.
0: Where did where did that come from to be able to like build this target operating model? Was that experience you're drawing from SAP or that's really interesting.
1: Yes. I think part of my hallmark as a leader has been somebody who was put into leadership positions to drive change. I don't love the term change agent, but I suppose that applies to me. And a lot of what I did, because if you look at my background, I started out as an engineer. I was writing code. I lived in sales for a long time in my career. I held pre-sales and sales roles. And then I was part of a product launch team where I did all kinds of stuff from recruiting and enabling partners to product managing part of the product uh, for for the release. So I, I did a whole bunch of different things. And so I have a pretty diverse background and i think that ultimately helps me look at this thing much more holistically and see how the pieces fit together
0: interesting so when I, when you think when i'm thinking about a target operating model is it just essentially this kind of blueprint that outlines how a company can like align its operations align kind of where we're headed it really is that just like an overall business strategy
1: it's a level lower. So if okay. you think about the the it, you, you know blueprint is absolutely correct as a definition. It's a way of working. And so, how do you build a campaign, for example, right? What are the inputs? What are the strategies that have to be considered? How does that all get baked? And which teams are involved in when? What What are all the deliverables? If you think about it, it's it's sort of the blueprint for an assembly line. Because at the end of the day. We're producing things. We're producing demand, which consists of us building a whole bunch of materials and putting them into the market over various channels. We're creating, we're, we're producing renewals by convincing customers to stay with us and renew their contract and and go on to become advocates. And so if you think about it from a you know sort of a factory perspective, you have to figure out how do these different teams work together to produce the result, not at the corporate level, but within marketing. Right. How do you use the insights that your comms team is getting out of the marketplace and your competitive intelligence team? How do you use the persona research that product marketing is doing? Like, how do you how do you bring all that stuff together and then put it into a workflow that allows us to create create assets across the entire customer journey and put them in the right channels so that the customers see them at the appropriate moment?
0: Wow, and you're doing, and you're also doing this inside of a you know a culture that you stepped into, right? That you know had had existed before you, and yet you're also bringing in, like you said, you know a good word is change agent because you're also ultimately creating this alignment between departments, between goals. So you you you've got CSM the CSM folks, the marketers meeting, and I love I just love that when do the sales folks get into that conversation, right? Because I could see also value of, you know, bringing the sales folks with the CSM folks and the marketers and how do we then, and maybe you're doing that already, but are you intentionally keeping the sales folks out of those conversations or do you bring them in at another layer? What's that look like?
1: Well, sellers, <laughs> sellers need to be selling, <laughs> not spending <laughs> a lot of times in internal meetings, um, but I work closely with sales leadership, right? And so okay. part of this is, as I was saying, you know, if you think about what we're trying to do is we're distilling down everything we know about the market and our audience and our competitors to figure out how do we position ourselves and our product and the experiences that we're gonna offer the customer as unique. And, and how do we get that in front of the customer, right? And the salespeople come in at a really important moment in the customer journey. And so our 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 goal is to integrate with sales leadership to make sure that, Every seller knows what's coming and has the opportunity to provide feedback before it happens and then enable those sellers on those key messages, enable them to use our resources if they're going to do some cold calling and and prospect to do pipeline self-gen. Also, enable them on how to carry the conversation forward to have a contiguous experience because with each campaign, it's a different message. We're pushing on a different pain point. And what we don't want is the seller to come in and go, so, hey, what are you interested in? Right. We need to make sure that that there's enablement that way. So there's a little bit of pull them in early, help you know, help get their input as we develop, but then really focus on enablement, starting with sales kickoff and then running through the course of the year, making sure they understand what's going into the market and when, what those key messages are, and then how to, how to pick up a prospect who's coming to them. And when they, when they pick up the conversation that, that they're speaking with the same voice we were speaking with. And then ultimately. And we're working through improving our onboarding experience right now, making sure that there's a handoff between sales to the CSM who will then effectively remain with the account going forward versus having the, the salesperson hand it off to an implementation leader a project lead who will then later bring customer success in, Uh, right? So it's really about looking at how do we bring these teams together at the right moments in the journey, because we can't bring them together all of the time in every meeting when we're architecting these things, because then we're taking people who talk to customers away from their core job of talking to customers, if that makes sense. So... Let's get,
0: let's let's go back to the double digit growth. Uh, this is amazing because we're seeing a, a lot of companies that are not not doing that. Certainly, is it is it a testament to eliminating kind of waste and and doubling down on other things? Or you know, is it are there acquisitions happening? Like what 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 would you attribute to that double digit growth in a world that's not all experiencing that? Certainly in your
1: segment. Execution. I mean, we did make an acquisition, but that acquisition hasn't been fully integrated yet. So okay. we're, we're running them independently right now. Uh, 24 will be the year of integration for that. But, um, in general, it's just down to execution and a focus on <laughs> doing better with less, right? Making sure that, that we are continuing despite shrinking budgets to invest in the tactics that make the most sense making sure that we are, from a revenue perspective, making sure that we're keeping our churn numbers low so that we have the operating headroom to be able to continue investment in marketing and in sales. It's about making sure we have operational excellence in sales. I think that's, that's the symbiotic relationship between marketing and sales and why you often see conflict between CROs and CMOs is, you know, the C, the CMO is saying, Hey, I've got plenty of pipeline, your sellers aren't acting on it. And the the CRO is saying, all of your pipeline is garbage. It's not, you know, my sellers can't do anything with it. Right. And, and, my CRO and I work together incredibly well and we're very aligned about what represents quality and what represents accountability. And, and we have a, you know, part of my role, uh, on our, our executive leadership team is to represent the entire pipeline to our board. So okay. I have to talk about the whole, the whole shoot and match as opposed to just marketing's contribution. And that's something that I I relish because from my perspective, it actually matters a lot less who generates the pipeline. Like I'm not interested in the conversation about getting credit for pipeline. I'm most interested, first and foremost interested in, do we have enough clean, healthy and sufficient pipeline to get to the number? Right. And if I have to, if I have to, to support another team who's going to get the credit, that's great. I don't. I don't have a problem with that. Now, I do care about crediting the tactics back. I need to make sure I have good attribution because what I don't want to do is kill off a tactic that is actually producing well, but on paper doesn't look like it. Mm. Uh, that's where the attribution really matters. But I don't look at this as a hey, I want to. I want to get credit. Give credit where credit is due. It's more along the lines of let's work together as a team. SDR's marketing CSM's uh, uh, partnerships let's let's work together as a team and constantly be looking at the pipeline to make sure that there's enough coverage and then if there is not enough coverage let's figure out what's the the best way to fill that gap if it's future quarters marketing can help with that if it's current quarter we'll get the SDRs on the phone right like figuring it out holistically is where we need to start and then certainly working internally within each of these organizations to hold ourselves accountable to deliver. and when it, when a tactic or a campaign's not delivering, digging in and asking why.
0: The collaboration piece about you and the CRO coming together and getting really clear, you said, on quality and accountability, it seems like there would be do you share the same goal like ultimately or, or are there is there a distinction between like your goal and the CRO's
1: goal? Well, everybody at the executive leadership team level shares revenue and bookings goals, right? Got like we, yeah. we're all tied to corporate right. performance. So, okay. you know, this is the part that I, I never really, I've been talking to to CMOs and CROs for years in my prior marketing roles uh, when I was marketing CX solutions. You know, we we sold both to the office of the CRO and the office of the CMO. And, you know, I never really understood why there was so much conflict you know, obviously at a human level, there's, it. it's obvious why there's conflict, right? But I never really understood at the, at the corporate level, why, why there would be so much conflict because at the end of the day, we have the same goals. We're completely aligned, right? We're right. looking for corporate performance and, and we need to generate bookings. And so as a, as a CMO, I've always been concerned about not just how much pipeline do we have, but really how much is is marketing contributing to the closed one business? And if we have a different proportion of deals that are being closed in terms of of source, right? If, if marketing is responsible for a 40%, 50%, 60%, pick your number, it's different in every company, right? But right. whatever percentage of contribution, if the closed one doesn't mirror that, then you need to go ask why, mm-hmm. right? Is it because... Salespeople don't like the leads that they're getting and they're just generating their own. Right. Dig into that because ultimately, if you demonstrate that that you're more concerned about book one than than even pipeline, now you're aligned with your CRO.
0: How? So are you interacting much with the sales folks? Like are you spending a lot of time with the sales the All sales the time. teams? Yeah. 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 Okay. I talk,
1: I talk to the CRO. We have standing one-on-ones. We talk every week. Okay. I also have have meetings with sales leaders. I've told them my door's open. So some of them call me more regularly than others. But okay. uh, I even, you know, I talk to the SVPs. I talk to the VPs. Uh, I make it my my business to drive alignment and just do check-ins periodically. Uh, whenever I have the opportunity to go to an event, I always seek out the salespeople in the room and I go talk to them directly. And I think that goes a long way, again, to demonstrate that it's not just, it's not just, messaging, (laughs) that it's actual uh, commitment to supporting that team. And I think that may be born out of the fact that I was in sales for so long and I've Mm -hmm. had to carry the bag. I had to build the territory. I had to cold call my way to build a pipeline. So I've been there and I, and I know how hard that is. And that's really at the end of the day, I think what, what marketing is there to do is help, help drive Drive the uh, the conversations for sales to pick up,
0: and also you know you're driving these conversations. You're you're building trust with the executives certainly and the teams that are all supporting this business, and you're also in a space not just your industry, but I mean y- you know how fast this world is moving. You've got AI, you know, tools and technology and happening all the time. Where it's like the velocity at which I think a CXO or a C-level exec can be even, I mean, I hate to say like more successful, but just like more impactful given the nature of innovation, the future of where we're headed. Talk about the future of this role and what this looks like moving forward. And if you can touch on like, what's in your toolbox for the, for the C, What are what some of the like table stakes to be successful as a CXO?
1: That's a multi-part question. I'm gonna try to do my best. Uh, The future, I think, look, the, the hard part is instrumenting the customer journey. And maybe this is a little bit of the blending of the two, but companies are not set up. First of all, companies are not set up around a customer journey mindset. They just aren't, right? And I think the hardest challenge that I face is getting everybody in the organization thinking about their direct impact on the customer journey. Right. Because it's really easy for salespeople and customer success people to, to know, right? What their impact is because they talk to customers all the time. But if you work in accounting, if you work in human resources, it's a little bit harder, right? To, to feel like, what is my connection to the customer? But ultimately, if you can get everybody aligned around it, if you can, if you can integrate the idea of the customer journey into the DNA of your company, um, then everything, like I, I was saying earlier, everything becomes easier, right? My job will become infinitely easier once I'm, I am at a place where every employee at Embers, not just like off the top of their head, but like deep in their heart knows how their work affects the customer and comes to work with that mindset right and and that elevates us out of all of the conflict that happens in every business where we have silos and we have issues and people don't understand why and you hear the the not my job pop up right like yep. those conflicts are are natural and normal and they're they're everywhere but i think it's because we're we're framing things from our own point of view as opposed to adopting the customer point of view. and so that's what's ahead for me is really driving a cultural shift within the business to to start broadening the effect well beyond the go to market and customer success and support roles in the business and and getting people really carefully thinking about their contributions to that customer journey and framing that up you know in terms of the toolbox we have to better instrument the customer journey so that we're running our business proactively on the journey instead of reactively reporting out on it. And, and again, I think most companies struggle with the same set of challenges. We have, we have too, many, too many products in the stack, none of which are fully adopted. But what I want to look at is, you know, in, in marketing, we have intent signals, right we have these we have tools that give us intent signaling and you can start to look at use cases beyond the marketing use case for intent signaling so the example would be if you have a customer where you have a health score that's declining for the customer health if you go look at the uh, the intent signals you can see if they're actually out shopping for a competitor and so you can be much more fine grained in your response to that to that customer if you start applying more heuristics. And again, these are typically siloed solutions. Intense signaling is something that marketing uses pretty exclusively. I don't even think sales typically dives into that part of it, right? So taking the tools we have in the toolbox and parsing out what is actually useful, driving adoption of the tools that, that move the needle, simplifying the tech stack, and then thinking about how do we apply those tools, not just to where they've always been used, but start applying those tools across the customer journey and the recognition that an intent signal during a non-buying phase could actually be a precursor to churn. So we could head churn off at the pass and prioritize CSM time in a new way based on some new data and insights. So that's how I think about the toolbox is I need fewer tools in the box, but I need to really know how to use every single one of those tools and get the most out of the investment. And that's, you know, back to my mantra of doing better with less. That's how you do better with less. Too many tools creates too much confusion. And then you have to feed it. You have to keep all the integrations alive and and you wind up doing more harm than good, quite frankly.
0: Where does AI kind of fit into your, you know, either day-to-day or is it do you leverage AI in any way for your role as CXO?
1: I don't use AI from a strategy or planning perspective. I use, you know, AI is another tool in the arsenal. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking a lot about the way that AI helps us to create more, more harmony and, and, you know, things like tone, right? Like you can teach an Mm -hmm. AI what your tone is and you can, you can have it proofread everything for you. Right. So now I can free up an editor's time. I can, I can have, there's a lot of cost avoidance strategy in using AI. I think AI is still a little bit of a blunt, blunt instrument. It's, it's rapidly improving, but it's still a bit of a blunt instrument in terms of garbage in, garbage out. But even in the way that we, we analyze data and summarize, right? You can take one of the beautiful use cases for, for sales and customer success is you take an existing customer's entire incident history and you feed it to an AI and it'll summarize it for you. It'll tell you what's important to them and what where their issues have been. And so those the synthesis activity of an AI, I think is is for me one of the most interesting aspects right now is to 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 be able to summarize because nobody has time to read through all this, at least of all salespeople, right? Like right. They're, they're so right. busy, yep. right? They just want it handed to them. And and so being able to have the synthesis happen automatically uh and feed that to them, I think that's th- those are some of the things that I'm excited about with AI
0: super interesting, especially on the yeah the the synthesizing part. I mean the speed that I can take a large data set and then summarize that, extract useful insights from that in a myriad of ways to me, it's just been very fun to to play with at lots of different levels um you you talked about you know getting everyone in the business to kind of like understand their impact on the customer journey, right? Maybe maybe a little easier to do with marketing and certainly, you know, CSM, but they, like you said, there's accounting, there's HR, there's, you know, other operational folks, designers, developers, etc. How do you know that you're achieving that goal of getting everybody to really, you know, essentially get out of the silo, breaking down those, being more cross-functional, you know aligning incentives all the really interesting things that you're doing but how do you know it's working
1: honestly it's the hallway conversations which you know mm. we, <laughs> it's it's hard to have in a virtual world but when right. you hear people saying oh i was talking to and they name a counterpart in a different department about The customer journey or, hey, we were we were thinking about this phase of the customer experience, what, you know, we were talking about how we would how we would tackle that. Right. And so, you know, for example, thinking about implementation service design, right, what is the experience of of having having the product be implemented? that kind of a conversation now we're getting people who are are thinking mostly about billable hours and resource management and all that kind of stuff they're they're starting to shift their mindset and so for me it's this you know concentric circles out you you start with the teams that are focused on you know, have, who, who speak directly to the customer. And then you go to the next ring out where it's the indirect, but still customer focused activity. And over time, the conversation shifts and, and then, you know, that's the leading indicator when you hear people for me, not long after I had brought these two, two teams marketing and customer success together, I I was having a conversation with somebody who was further down in the, the management chain and, She said, Oh yeah, last week I was talking with the CSM manager and, and, and like told me about the conversation. And I was like, okay, check. They're talking. That's, that's, that has to start. That's a leading indicator that we're going to have success is if new people are talking about topics that they've never spoken about before, that's, that's the first step. And then the, the KPIs will lag, but I'm, I have a lot of confidence that they will they will, they will follow.
0: Wow. Fascinating. Johan, I knew this was going to happen and we're, we have we a couple of minutes left. I'm like, man, this is, I, I feel like there's so <laughs> many, so, this is so interesting because like, again, like I, I view you as, you know, as someone who is really innovating in, in the role and the role of CMO, right? A role that's, you know, of course I've spent the last, you know, three plus years you know really looking at this role and watching the evolution and talking to lots of different people and here you are really you know being an advocate for what this role can mean for an organization and the teams both inside and out that you know that are supporting amazing um i just have a final kind of mic drop moment for you and i want you to just think about you know your fellow c level executives right because you have this experience in both creative and and business aspects of marketing clearly How do you balance the need for innovation and creativity with, of course, these pragmatic requirements of like achieving these business objectives? What guidance can you offer fellow executives that are really seeking to balance in their own organizations or who are already going down this path or seeing what you're doing and they're like, yes, we're doing the same thing. What can you leave uh, behind for them?
1: The best advice I can give is the same advice I get asked whenever uh, I, the same advice I give when I'm asked about work life balance, which is it's not about balance it's about integration, right It's not about trying to balance creativity and innovation with cost savings or other measures. It's really about trying to integrate those two things to to take a step back and I think you know fundamentally and this is it's funny because our corporate strategy is to disrupt our own industry by taking a step back and thinking about expense management in an entirely new way. And that mirrors very much what I'm trying to do internally by taking a step back and saying, look, we have these functions. We've had these functions for quite some time as a business. What if we looked at them in a new way? How would we find efficiency and yet still Make huge gains in terms of creativity, in terms of professional growth for everyone in the organization, right? Because when you, when you fundamentally re architect the way you think about your business, you create huge opportunity for everybody involved. Without adding lots of headcount and trying to create new positions, right? because you're changing the way people think about their work, which gives rise to the need to learn new skill sets, which gives rise to the need to reorganize and restructure the talent that you have on the team. And so that's my big my my big piece of advice here is take a minute, step back uh, for the CMOs who are listening. You're the, the, the maker of the brand promise. And ultimately, the company is, is looking to you to define what that promise is, get it out there, put it on the website, and get, get recordings of customers that are, that are saying that you've kept that brand promise. The gap is that today, what are you doing to influence the way the promise is being kept
0: Amazing, and I hope you're working on a book, Johan, because if you don't <laughs> if you don't write a book on this stuff I'm gonna be I'm gonna be disappointed and this is this is incredible. Um, I very grateful I know I speak on behalf of our team. this has been exceptional. I feel like I've been sitting kind of in front of a panel of one learning so much about. You know what it means to be a Cxo in as we wrap up the year and really set off for a bang up 2024. Um, Thank you so much for being a part of our show and our audience, and we really appreciate you. Have an awesome, awesome rest of your day.
1: Oh, thanks so much. It's been super fun for me too.
0: Hey, it's Jeremy. Before we get back to this incredible marketing trends interview, I just wanted to let you know that roughly 70,000 people are listening to this show just like you. And millions more are seeing the episode link in their social media feeds. That doesn't even account for the 22,000 plus subscribers who will have this episode sent right to their inboxes and mobile devices. If you're interested in having your company's logo and advertising appear in front of a captive and growing audience, reach out to info to see how you can sponsor the show, connecting your brand to millions of people and the world's finest marketing minds.